It's upfront and it's candid. This is Unrestricted. What's going on, everybody? This week on Unrestricted, I sit down with nine-time motocross and supercross champion Ryan Dungey. Ryan is from Belle Plaine, Minnesota. He did leave Minnesota to his training grounds in Florida, but has recently moved back with his wife and young daughter. He's one of us. He was born and raised here in Minnesota, and uh, I think you guys will find his journey so unique, unlike the successful journeys that we hear about with basketball or football or some of these conventional sports, motocross and dirt bikes, that's not a world in which a lot of people know about. So I think that you're going to find his life journey uh, very motivational, uh, very inspiring. And I think you're going to you're going to hear just how normal the duty is. He's such a normal guy. He's so incredibly humble and just gracious and grateful for his whole opportunity in life. And and he really has this, this tremendous perspective um, on everything that he's he's earned and been given at the same time. So here he is, nine-time champion, Ryan Dungey, Unrestricted. This is brought to you by Douglas and Todd Small Batch Bourbon. It's Minnesota-made and nationally recognized gold medal bourbon. Douglas and Todd has aged over five years, that's right, five years in white American oak barrels, and it's subject to the drastic temperatures of the Minnesota North Country, and all that cold and heat, well, it allows the barrels to breathe much more frequently, which gives it that smooth, award-winning taste. They also believe in a regenerative system of distillation. What the hell does that mean? Well, all the wheat in the corn is grown just 30 miles from the distillery, Then the fermentation waste is used back at the farm for cattle feed. That's what that means. It's eco-minded and taste-approved. It's Douglas and Todd bourbon. Please enjoy responsibly 21-plus bourbon whiskey, 46.5% alcohol by volume, produced and bottled by Ed Phillips & Sons Company, Princeton, Minnesota. Well, how about this? We added yet another supporter to our team. This episode is also brought to you by my good friend Pat Kelly at Wexford Harbor Insurance. I don't know. Maybe I was like a lot of you guys. I thought all insurance was the same. Just give me the cheapest price and let's move on. Well, I was so, so wrong. You know, Pat and his staff helped educate me on what was the appropriate coverage and what is the best value, not just the cheapest price. He can do all of that because he's an independent agent. He's not owned or limited by big box companies. Nope. He represents over 40 different insurance carriers. And those 40 different insurance carriers, they work for him and they work for you. Go to wexford-harbor.com slash unrestricted for a quote. And keep in mind, it's the old school fancy spelling of Harbor, H-A-R-B-O-U-R. Or hit him up at their email at info at wexford-harbor.com. We got another one. Thank you, Pick and Shovelware, for sponsoring Unrestricted Podcast. You can find Pick and Shovelware at pickandshovelware.com. They're a Minnesota-based apparel company. They've got shirts and hoodies and hats. And what they do is they create conversations with what you're wearing based on unique fan-made designs of your current and classic Minnesota athletes and events. I actually have the World Series winning Twins baseball shirt that has the batting stances of the starting lineup for those Minnesota Twins. And I will tell you that it is definitely a conversation starter because it's unique, it's different. And everybody that that looks at that shirt when I'm wearing it, they say, what the hell is it? 
And they kind of look at it like, oh, I get it. That's all the batting stances. And then we have a little quick conversation. That's what they do. They do unique stuff. So for this podcast, you get 20% off your first order if you type in the promo code LIBER. That's L-E-B-E-R, 20% off your first order. It's pickandshovelware.com. Guys, please check it out. Please support yet another Minnesota-based company. And thank you for jumping on board with the Unrestricted Podcast. Lieber, 20% off your first order. Ryan Dungey, what's going on, my man? Not How much. It's great to see you. It's good to be here. Yeah, good you to know, see we, you. You um, know, we, like a lot of people, especially in the coronavirus era, we don't get to see each other very much. And uh, you and I connected... Gosh, I mean, through a bunch of random things. There's a random TV show in here. We've had we've had St. Jude because we're both part of that that great charity in the hospital down in Memphis. And um, but we haven't really connected face to face in a long time. So thanks for being in, man. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, these last few months with the coronavirus. It's you know we've been chatting over the phone briefly, but uh, since we've seen each other in person, it's been a minute. So it feels good. What is life for you and your wife Lindsay and your child in the coronavirus era? You know, uh, so we had our daughter, me and Lindsay had our our first child, Harper, our daughter, uh, in July last year. And you know, the baby phase, you know, it's, it it was awesome. I mean, we, we soaked it up and enjoyed it and, and, um, it, it, it was a lot of time and, and, but it was awesome. We got to spend it together and here comes the winter, you know, we're, I think by the time March rolled around and stuff, we're all right. Uh, summer's coming. We're looking to get out of the house. Harper's getting a little bit older. And, uh, then coronavirus came and, uh, that like everybody, we were kind of in the house a lot, didn't really go anywhere. And, and I was doing the shopping cause we weren't like, nobody was, you know, we went, went, sorry, we didn't want to bring the whole family. No. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, just, I think we, I, I mean, even to this point, we're, we're like, let's get out of the house every chance we can get. Let's get Harper out. She's going stir crazy. So yeah, it's, everybody's doing good though. Everybody's healthy, thankfully. But uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, being locked up in the house a lot, I think we all kind of felt the effects of that. You know, I liken it to, at least in my experience, not so much early on, but uh, maybe a month or two in, right? It was, it was sort of like when I was back um, in South Dakota, we could start driving at 14 years old. So it's like we could have our, our learner's permit or an actual license at 14. And a, a, every chance I could get, hey, mom, you need something at the store? You, you see like like batteries or something? You need anything? Like I just need to get out of the house. Like I need to go, I need to go for a drive. I need to have yep. this experience. I need to have this freedom. And I think going uh, a month or two into the pandemic, it was I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, um, you need anything at the store? I, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, can I, yeah. can I go get something for you? Yeah. Or, or you're like, well, no, I'm going to the store. Like, or yeah. you're, you know, who's, who's you went last time. I'm, yep. It's my turn to go. Yeah. I know. Cause, cause you're right. You can't, you're not supposed to take the kids in there. You yeah. know, you're not supposed to have big traveling groups of families, you know, traipsing through these different, different businesses and stuff. So I was like, you stay here with the kids and <laughs> I will go and run whatever errand I can run, whatever stores open. I'm just going to go do that. Yeah, man. Anything it took. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So for everybody that um, may or may not know, uh, you grew up in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. And to get this right, because we joked about this off air before we started recording, that you are mentioned as a seven, eight, and a nine-time champion in both Supercross and Motocross. And I'm like, damn, man, wh- how many titles do you really have? But you are one of the most accomplished 
writers in the history of the sport, and and you're one of us. You're you were born and raised right here in Minnesota. You did some training and lived for part of your professional career in Florida. But you're a Minnesota guy. Um, how did your how did your career start from a young age? Yeah. So um, first of all, yeah, that's I mean, just Minnesota in general. I you know throughout my years, um, you know, especially when my pro career took off or professional racing career. I missed the place, you know, but you know, how it all kind of really begun was, um, I mean, shoot from the very beginning, I was five years old. Um, I had two other brothers who actually, uh, uh, rode dirt bikes as well and raced. And so all three of us, I think I was five years old when I got my first dirt bike and you got to understand too, my dad, he was, he was a huge fan of the sport and he actually rode growing up too. So, um, I think when we all got old enough, he's like, Hey, maybe this is something they want to do. And you see from here too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he was born and raised here. Yep. So I'll stop you real quick. What was his influence? How did he get into racing? I mean, cause in, in my, in my experience, you know, I started my football career in San Diego in Southern California. Racing's really big. Oh yeah. Right. It's, That's it's the a, me- California is, you could say is the Mecca of, uh, the, the dirt bike motor yes. yeah, industry. Yeah. So right from the very get go, you feel not only a military presence in that town, but there's an outdoor aspect to where you have all-terrain vehicles traveling the streets, people going out to the desert to go ride dune buggies, dirt bikes, four-wheelers, whatever whatever can get through and plow through the sand, people are doing it. People are, are camping out there, spending long weekends, spending weeks out there. It's a big fabric, big part of the fabric and the culture of that area. But I, don't, I didn't feel that sense here in Minnesota. So how did your dad even get into racing? It's crazy. I, if you look at the history of our sport, there's really not a lot of guys who came out of Minnesota, more so now, which is awesome to see Minnesota getting on the map, um, you know, guys coming up through the uh, amateur ranks and going pro. But it wasn't, um, I mean, prior to me, I think there had been like, you know, gosh, maybe a handful, uh, 10 being generous professionals that came out of Minnesota. Um, and so it wasn't really a, a pathway for a Minnesota guy and it was really unique. And my dad, it was, I don't fully know what sparked him getting a dirt bike, but it just, as far as like he, I think by the time he started riding it, he was like 17, 18. And so, uh, he, he had got a few, my grand, my dad, my, sorry, my grandpa had got my dad a few bikes and I just see, you know, he told us stories and he went to the, the big amateur nationals. Like, so Loretta Lenz, uh, the singer, yeah, the, Loretta Lenz dude ranch, there was a huge amateur national. It's still today the number one na- um, amateur national no track. Yeah, so it's and that's located where it's in uh, Tennessee. Okay. Um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the town now. But um, just as far as like he he you know so he ro- raced locally, went to some big amateur nationals, and it, that's kind of all where it went. You know, nothing didn't kind of escalate from there. But I think my dad started following the the pro guys racing on TV and seeing that, so he had a really good understanding. And I still don't think if it were for that and his passion and his understanding of like where potentially getting a young your your child a dirt bike, where what that pathway could look like. I think he knew that. I don't think. I don't think I, you know, he would have known the right places, the right races. And you, there's kind of a, it's not like uh, stick and ball sports where, yep, you know, you get, uh, you know, you kind of get involved in it and then you kind of go up the ranks and you can, you know, you play right. it in school, you know, motocross isn't a, um, a, a sport that you do in school. So it's just unique. So kind of getting back on track here. 
he got us a bike and, you know, he got me a bike and then my brother, we shared it. Then my little brother was born and then we all had our own bikes. And then we're going to the local races. You know, by the time we were nine and 10, we're going to amateur, you know, the bigger amateur national races. And so kind of that whole pathway and you could turn pro when you were 16, you know, that, that was the minimum age you could turn pro. And that's wild. Yeah. And so from a young age, I just like, when I saw it on TV, we'd watch it all the time. We'd go to the 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 metrodome and you know the, when the pro guys came to town in millville when the guy the outdoor series they'd come to town and just every time they'd come i'm like man that's what i want to do and that's what i want to do but the hard thing was we'd put the dirt bikes away all winter so it's you'd lose all that time riding right. and uh, when you when it come time march april to bring them back out um you were a little rusty and you weren't uh, as good as you were when you put them away so that that was a challenge um you know, coming through the ranks is not being able to get that seat time. But in the long run, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise just because um, I wasn't burnt out. You yeah. know, by the time it was, by the time I was 16 and I went pro, it was a full-time deal. And and it was a lot. I mean, every day training, riding, the whole nine yards, racing 30 weeks a year, it wore on a guy. So I'm glad I went into it fresh, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice that you had that break in the winter time to like, to be a kid just, just to be a kid yeah, yeah and not a lot of kids did get that and you've seen that you've seen how that reflected on a lot of the professional athletes from california who were raised in warmer states you know it, it wore on them because they were pushed to race all year round and, and and like you know i'm sure as a kid it's like everybody you push them too hard and they don't have fun and have a balance you get burnt out so, yeah yeah so what was it about it at, at a young age that you enjoy about being at the actual events was it just in a in a visceral sense being a kid just the sound and the feel you know was it were you just kind of attracted to that it was um you know probably as a young kid you don't know much but i i just remember the yeah it was it was you seen the the you know you seen your favorite riders right you seen the factory dirt bikes you seen these haulers you'd get to be in the pits you'd get to talk to the talk to the riders and I mean, you're just a little kid and big eyes and, and, uh, you're not to mention you're like, you're going to the stadium and, you know, to watch the supercross, the smell, the feel like, and, and knowing like maybe, maybe one day I could do that, you know, maybe, maybe that could be me. And, and my dad, he'd always, it's kind of funny when we were kids or, you know, he's like, yeah, Ryan, maybe if you make it big, you know, we could fly to the races and then the bike's ready to go for you. So there was like this, like, yeah, I get to fly to the races and all the things that I think once you get into your career, you're like, it's better than driving, but you're like, man, another flight. I know. But when you're a kid, you're like, you're just like, this sounds so good. And <laughs> you get paid to do it. And, and so it was just all those things were just like, you know, in your head. But, uh, it, it you know, I guess, yeah, when, when it happens, it's like, it uh, you're not thinking about those things. You're just putting in the putting in the work, and 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 it's challenging. But it's still as a kid, it was so just uh, yeah, just just a dream. So, at what age and was there a specific event that when you're riding amateur that maybe you won or maybe you didn't win or what there was a certain set of circumstances where that that was it. Like that was what propelled you into some sort of national attention of like, man, I, the next step is a pro career. Yeah. So my amateur career wasn't stellar by any means. And, and partly I think I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and work through my stuff. And, you know, and, um, you know, as I was coming closer, I remember blowing out the candles on, on my 16th birthday and thinking like, oh, it's, it's not going to happen. And I was having some, some success then. 
But I was just so set on like when I'm 16, I got to go pro or want to go pro. But when I was 15, the the to answer your question, the the one there was a race specifically. It was March. It was the first national of the year uh, down in Texas. And I had put, we had put in a long, hard off season, um, just, you know, kind of preparing for that, uh, that race. And I was feeling good. I was, I started training more running, biking, psych, all the cross training, hitting the gym and, and, and riding. So, and I, I just felt really in tune and for whatever reason, you know, that winter, uh, I should say too, and, and a lot of people know my story, but for those who don't, I, I, I lost my grandmother that winter, uh, in February. Mm-hmm. And that just that just hit me hard, and and that, that was a hard experience. It was kind of my first loss, um, you know, in the family that I experienced, and and I was trying to you know grieving, and and it was it was tough, but you know I just remember going through that winter. Things were just happening quickly, and then it was time to go to Texas. I didn't want to go to Texas. I just I just I just wasn't ready, and but I went. You know, we we were prepared, and. But there was this like anger and this like, like, you know what? I gotta make the most of life. This is enough. And I missed my grandma, but you know, like at, at the same time, it's, I got, qu- I gotta quit being scared. I gotta, yeah. you know, take control and go after it and put the effort into this thing. And I think I wasn't afraid anymore. I think I dealt with a lot of fear as a kid and, and rightfully so as it's a, it's a dangerous sport at times, but, um, there was just that piece of me that was like, you know what? Who cares? I'm gonna quit thinking about this thing. I'm gonna go after it. It's what Grandma would have wanted, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna dig deep. And so going through that off season, I just was just like 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 hyper focused. Like this is what I want to do. Put in the work. And when it came time to racing, I just like I just felt this, as you probably felt as a athlete. Like we're we're gonna put it to him right now. And um and and I went out there and performed really well. And made the most of it and walked away from some championships. And that's when I think the, the, some attention, some realization, like, Hey, maybe this guy has, has some opportunity. So, um, that's a lot in a little bit, but that's kind of, that's kind of was the beginning of, um, that transition to getting a pro ride. Yeah. You found your fire, man. Yes. Like that, yes. That you found your edge. And I, and I think that in any sport, and this doesn't have to be a sport, this can be apropos to anybody in life. It seems like you need to find that edge. Mm-hmm. And and some people have to manufacture that edge. And in your situation, it was the loss of your grandmother that that in some ways in other people could be the downfall mentally and emotionally. But for you, after your grieving process, sounds like you said, screw it, man. Like this, this is it. Like yep. I, if this is going to help me focus and this is going to help me find my edge, then, then you found a silver lining to the loss of your grandmother. Did your, did you express some of that stuff with, your close family members, your dad, like how did you mentally get through that process? Was it on your own or did you have some, a little bit of coaching from your, from anybody <laughs> close to you to get through that? Uh, you know, I don't really remember talking about it much. I think it happened. The family came to town and, you know, I leaned on my mom and dad a lot, just, you know, and, and I'm, we all did as a family, of course. Um, but we didn't really express too much. Um, I just remember feeling the deepest hurt I've ever felt in my life. Of course, that a scenario like that, of course, but it was just a pain that just, yeah, like no other. And um, so, yeah, just, it's just like, like you said, it kind of, I found my fire. I kind of just like, you know what? It was a wake up call that life's just too short. And, and that, that I felt from that day forward. And it was experience that shaped me for, for the rest of my career. And still today that I, I didn't want to day let a day go by that I didn't make the most of it, mm-hmm. and 
and I was maybe a little bit set and this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it this way and, and whatnot. But it's like I didn't want to do it half the way. I, I wanted to do it right. And that's still me today. And that's kind of how I always be. I want to do it right. I want to do it 100 percent in anything I do. And so it just was a uh, it, it was a wake up call. But but it came at a unfortunately a hard a hard uh, life lesson. You mentioned the fact that it's uh, it the, the sport itself lends itself to be physically intimidating. Like there's, there is thing, there are things to be scared about. There is a, there's amount of fear that as, especially as a young kid, that it seems natural, right? You're on these powerful bikes and you are, you know, going around corners and you're in tight places with other guys on powerful bikes and anything can happen. And I'm sure you've, you've seen and felt injuries whether it yourself or somebody else, so you know that there's an inherent risk. Mm-hmm. But when you mention the fact that you you lost your grandmother, it helped you find your edge, it helped you get over a fear. It sounds like it was less of a fear on a physical standpoint and more of a you you defeated it and conquered your fear of whether it's success or failure or or putting a you know total commitment into something and and having that doubt of like, oh gosh, if I put all this into this and it doesn't work out, people can be fearful of that. And it sounds like it sounds like to me that your that loss of your grandma was less about getting over the the physical fear, yes, and more about the emotional fear of the sport. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And that that was a me to a T throughout my amateur career. I uh, I was afraid to fail. I mean, I'd perform unbelievable in the local scenes, like, and I remember like we <laughs> dad was like, "You can do it. You just got to put your mind to it. You gotta you gotta be mentally tough." And but we'd show up to these big nationals, and I just freaked myself out, you know. And so. Um, yeah, it was just like you know what I'm gonna put it all out there, and if I and if I fail, you you fail, but it, but you gotta you gotta at least uh, be willing to risk it all in order to win. So um, that that that's you, you hit it on the nail, actually. Yep. You know, it's funny because I mentioned the word mental toughness. Now, you know, your your young daughter is is too young to have those conversations, right? Um, yeah. But I find myself even as a dad uh, to twelve a twelve year old, nine year old, a six year old that I. I want to incorporate that idea that mental toughness is important because it's something that, that helped me, myself in my career. But I, I kind of laugh at myself. I'm like, my freaking kids have no idea what mental toughness is. <laughs> you know, I, I guess the only thing I can probably say is just to keep, to keep repeating it. And so maybe one day it'll sink in their heads. But it's funny, at a young age, you were thrust. I, I had no idea at 14, 15 years old what the hell mental toughness even meant. You yeah. know, like, and, and I think that's why your sport is so fascinating, along with some other sports that, you know, you find these, these tennis stars and these golf stars that, you know, they are, you know, basically training like a professional as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had, you, you had to like really challenge yourself to figure out what, what is mental toughness? What's it even mean? And, and what's the adversity that I have to overcome and what's it even look like? I think, yeah, that, that's when I think about it being so young, there's so much you don't know, which is kind of a good thing, right? Like you, when you don't know, I guess, um, hard to put it, find an example, but it's like, you just, you just go and you, you adapt as you go. And that's kind of what it was like when I, you know, I remember when I turned 16 and, um, or I got my professional ride and I was, I was living out in California in one bedroom apartment by myself, like California. I think like that today, like, wow, that was pretty early yet. But and I didn't like it. I felt alone. I but I was putting. But I was there to get it. Get the job done. And and you know this is part of it. And this is what we've been working towards. And and so, but I felt all these things. But I didn't know how to express them. All I just knew is to 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 go forward, to adapt, to 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 be the best I can, to put my you know best effort in it. And uh, 
and try to, you know, try to be successful moving forward. But, um, yeah, I think life's challenging. And, and, but as I got older too, challenges would come and, and I, it was easy to just want to gripe and complain about it and, and feel, you know, and, uh, I think I feel a lot as a person, just the emotion side of things. That's kind of who, but, but I had to just like remove the feeling out of it, put the emotion aside and, 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 and handle it and move forward. And, and, um, and so it, it was tough. It was really tough mentally, just like, um, yep. Waking up every morning, you know, you got to put in the time, you got to put in the effort and, and being disciplined and, and, um, you know, putting in the time. So, um, even to the, even to the point of the, the mind games on the track and, um, there, there's just so much, I think there's so many things running through my head thinking about mental toughness, but the fact is, I don't think everything goes your way and how are you going to react when things don't go your way? Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's where the true yeah. person comes out. And that's what I love about any sort of competitive sport, because you're not always going to win. Right. And, and you are really, truly not proverbially, you are going to get knocked down. Yes. You know, and what are you going to do in the course of your situation? You get knocked down on a race, uh, you know, it, no matter where it happens on what lap, you got to get your ass up on that bike, get that thing started again, and just tear ass and see if you can you can catch up. There's no there's no time to think about like well whose fault is that or who, who am I mad at or what what happened. Like you can you can break that down after the race is over, but you just got to go. You just oh, got to yeah. get up and go. Yep. Um, yep. I you mentioned the fact that you're in California as a 16 year old by yourself. And now I think I already know this answer because you and I have gotten to know each other uh, pretty well through these last few years. A 16 year old in California living on there, like what sort of temptations did you have? Were there any <laughs> temptations that you had? I tell you, I was, I know it like thinking about like, wow, a 16 year old, you can get yourself in new trouble. But I really just avoided, um, I was so afraid to hang out with the wrong crowd that I didn't hang out with anybody. And I really seriously was out there and talk about no balance. And this later caught up to me a couple of years later, but it was, it was all about racing. It was all about dirt bikes. It was all about making the most of this professional career. And, um, you know, a little, you know, kind of going back a step, like the opportunity that I got to come into the professional ranks was, um, really unique in itself. I, a lot of people say I didn't deserve it. Like I had a good amateur career, but not everybody came out of the amateur ranks and do a factory ride. There was rides, there were satellite teams, but this was like full blown factory. This was with like, you know, the, the, the best team manager in the business, Roger DeCoster, um, you know, one of the greats of our sport. And then, and then also my teammate, Ricky Carmichael, the guy at the top of the sport at the time. I mean, he, I mean, for me to walk into that or have that opportunity to, to get that, I was like, I'm not going to waste this. I mean, not, not to mention I get to be around awesome people, but it's like, okay, we're out here. We're going to do a job and, and I'm going to make sure I don't throw this away. And, um, I mean, I left school and everything I left, I, I didn't finish school at the time. I, I walked away. It was just, that's what this it was about. I was training, riding, practicing, getting ready for the season. And, um, and I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I did it right. So that, that's, that's what it was. It was, it was wake up. I, I do my own shopping. Uh, <laughs> I had grocery a, shopping and all that. Yep. I had my own trainer. I was, I was actually for a moment there paying my bills, you know, writing out my checks no for my way. utilities and my rent and 
um, thinking about it and it's like, oh man, 1500 bucks for rent. I was like, gosh, this one stings, you know, as a, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, and I wasn't making a bunch at the time. So it was just like, oh, no, so, but you're 16. Yeah. You're writing checks yeah, to and, pay for your bills. Yeah. And my mom and dad, they had full-time jobs, but they were there for me too. They, they really helped guide me along the way. It's not like I was kind of, I mean, they weren't there all the time. They'd come visit as much as they could, but, um, it, it was tough cause it was, it was alone and, you know, you're 16. You you like to be around friends and and people, but um, I I wasn't. So it it just it was it was really. You probably think, wow, that kind of sounds pretty sad, but I had my fun as time went on. But this was just a crucial point in my life to to really um, um, make sure that I did it right. Yeah. So you are super focused, hyper focused, very disciplined as a 16 year old living on your own. I'm going to guess that part of that was because you saw the struggle and the effort that your parents and your family members kind of put into writing. Yep. And you're like, man, if they're going to do all that for me up to this point, then I, I have to at least repay them with the commitment to do what I can do while I'm out here. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 there was a lot riding on it and, you know, underneath a lot of it all, um, our sports varies, was, is very expensive and still it is today. And a lot of families go into debt and my family did, you know, they spent a lot of money. I remember my dad building homes and, um, you know, he, he's a construction worker. He pours concrete, but he's very skilled and he builds homes. You know, he, he, when he builds a home, he does dang there 75% of the work. So it saves a lot of costs. But I remember him, we, we built through, you know, he built three homes along the way and sold them. And, you know, he'd take the equity that they made and put it into the racing for us kids. And, you know, and then, you know, prior to turning pro, they, yeah, think things were in debt, you know, wasn't looking good. And that's the, the tough part. Um, if it didn't happen, I don't know what we would have done, but I'm thankful my parents did what they did. So, yeah, there, there was there was goals for me. I wanted to make sure that that I, you know, um, not that my parents ever expected it, but it's like, you know what, I, I want to do good. I want to make sure that I don't waste what everybody has put into me to, to get to this point. And I want to make sure I'm successful that I can. Yep. Not not that it was about money, but I can make money and repay debts off and, and making sure that that I, I give back to those who help me. And um, and, and so it, it was more than just about winning a race and being successful. And, and it was, you know, it was about not wasting the gift and, and heck it, it, it was tough coming from Minnesota too. I remember this vividly coming from Minnesota. It's like nobody had really done anything as far as there had been a couple good guys, but no, you ain't going to win a championship or stuff like that. I mean, nobody had won a championship in supercross and motocross here in the States. So it was like, you just felt like this, like, yeah, but you're from Minnesota. You're not supposed to do any good. And then I just remember that being tough in the beginning. Like, I need to get over this. Like, that we can do something, and we can we can be successful, and we can win championships and and win races and all these things. So, and thankfully we did. And and there's been a lot of guys who set the tone, but or who have gone pro since then and been successful. But um, yeah, it's just there was a there was a lot of emotion, a lot of. And that, that's where a lot of my fire and motivation also came from. Yeah. 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 So the um, the fact that you get out there, it's incredible that you immediately felt like you're sort of labeled, maybe put in a corner and said, ah, silly Minnesota kid. Oh, what a cute story. Ah, oh, that, that's so cute. Minnesota guy, he's coming out here. He doesn't belong out here. And you have to fight 
that as well. Like yeah. you're you're on your own. You felt you feel a little bit of a responsibility um, as as being a, a 16 year old pro and all the things that your parents and your family had sacrificed. And then you have the weight of sort of the industry saying. Who do you think you are, man? Like you're like a, a Minnesota guy coming out here, especially to California. Like this, we own Supercross. We own this. Yeah. This is this is us, <laughs> and not not one of you guys. And then, and then also, you get the sense that they don't feel like you belong with Da Costa, Da Costa, yeah, Da Costa, and Carmichael, and you're just like this young punk kid. You know, like that's yeah. that's a lot, man. What? What did DeCoster, did you ever talk to him specifically and say, like, what did you see in me? <laughs> like, I didn't have a great amateur career. Like, what did you see in me? Why did you pick me? Yeah. Um, it was so crazy. The right prior to signing with Suzuki, uh, my first um, professional factory ride, um, I was actually supposed to, I went out to California to sign with a, a satellite team, you know, with some factory support. Um and right at the last second, me and my dad were at this. We were at a. We went to just w- go watch a race in Vegas. It was the last Supercross of the season. The, the professional top guys, and um, we we're like, well, if we're gonna sign this, let's just go ask Roger DeCosta. Hey, we're we're gonna sign this deal, but we would. You don't have to pay me. We just said like, you can. We'll ride for free. We just want the best equipment to be able to prove ourselves and 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 grow from there. And I, I don't know what for every reason and. He said, well, let me look into a few things. And four days later, he lined up a ride for us in California, a test ride. And um, first lap, I, fall in the, I fell in the mud. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, it's over, <laughs> which was kind of nice because it just took the pressure off. Like, all right, I'm just going to go ride and have fun riding a factory bike. And, the, I, you know, I must have did four 30-minute motos that day. And, he, I, you know, he just said, Ryan, your, your corner speed was exceptional. That's that's what I couldn't – was unbelievable about. And I, I knew I was taking a risk, but I just – from what I saw, you know, and I was like – and then the, at the end of that day, he said, we got, we're going to get you a two-year contract signed up and uh, we'll get it over to you. We like what we see. And, and it was like – it was like – You're kidding me. Just like that. Yeah. It was one of those things you were like – this just seems too good to be true. You know, like how is this all falling in line so nicely? You know, it, it, it was really like just like a movie. And uh, but it, it was happening in real life. And so we I was, you know, obviously on cloud nine, we signed later that week. And it was kind of funny because years later, I thought like, all right, I got two years. I can, you know, of course, I want to come out of the bat, get out of the gate swinging. But um, I, uh, I figured I got two years locked in and Roger later told me, it's like, if you didn't perform that first year, you were gone. <laughs> I was like, no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I didn't know that, which was good. So, but it was cool. They, they didn't put a lot of pressure on me, which was nice. They like, Hey, just take your time and didn't do really good on my debut, my first four uh, debut races, but it was nice. I had the whole off season and, and then we, we were able to have some going into the first, uh, full season, have some good success. So. Is there a an easy explanation and a difference between the bike that you were on versus a factory bike? You know, I think the, the good thing about our sport, the rider can make up the difference. But having that factory support and the the the, the, the personnel and the people who come with it, you can just fine tune in a machine like no other. And uh, sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's tough because there are so many options. But at the same time, they they came out with a brand new bike that year. Um, it, 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 they, and they just hit it on the, the, the manufacturer Suzuki hit it on the nail. And for the next three years, we would build that bike and do by the third year, that thing was so, I never touched a setting. It just, it, really? was, it was perfect every time it went on, on the track, which is just unlike a dirt bike, you know, it's usually you're adjusting it, you're doing things, but 
it was so fun to ride and uh, it was very competitive. And then you were also mentored by Ricky Carmichael, who you said when you got there, he was at the top of the sport. Everybody knows him. I mean, even I feel like even if you're not a motor a motor person yep. um, and a motorhead, you know the name Carmichael. You oh, just, yeah. You just do. Like people that are listening right now, you should just at least know the name. What was that experience like being the, the young kid and him being at the top of the sport? And you're learning from a guy that you probably idolized. Very much so. I mean, I, it was so surreal. I mean, I looked up to Ricky as a kid. I mean, we'd go, he, it was Ricky Carmichael. That was, he's the greatest of all time of our sport. So at that time, it was like being able to come in, meet him, be his teammate. But the biggest thing was just like seeing the inside the inside mentality of a, of a champion, how he thinks, how he acts, how he goes about things. Like I got to spend so much time around him, how he reacted to situations and how he, his thought process on a high pressure situation, it, it was just so uh, beneficial to be around uh, that winning mentality. And it, it kind of rubbed off on me. And so I never saw myself as a guy like, oh, if I could go out there and get top 10 finishes, that'd be great. Or top fives. Like I, I kind of just formed the mentality. Like, no, I want to go out there and win. And maybe it was a lot of um, more, it was a little bit higher than I could do at the time, but that's where I saw myself. And eventually that's kind of where I got to, which, but the guy was first class. He, he was nice. He, he took me in. He joked with me. Uh, he gave me hard times and I mean, really hard times just messing with me and joking with the guys, but, but it was all good fun and we had a good time. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, how much older was he than, than uh, you at the time? About 10 years older than me. Wow. Yeah. But it was cool to, you know, over the years we would go, uh, about, it was 2009. I ended up going down to Florida at, and right at his farm and, you know, he'd mentor me. And for the next six years we spent together, you know, riding and, you know, him coming out to the track and just being around him and being able to go to him and ask questions. And, and, and how, without a doubt, if it weren't for Roger DeCoster, Roger DeCoster and Ricky, um, I wouldn't have had the success uh, that I would have. I mean, they, they were instrumental in teaching me and grooming me and helping me along the way. Yeah. 2010, you are, if I understand this correctly, the first rookie, and I don't know if it's happened since then, to ever win both titles in Supercross and Motocross. Um, how did you feel going into that season? Did you feel like you were you were ready for that challenge? And then when, and then what's the experience of like when you're holding that trophy as as, yeah. as a rookie in the sport? <laughs> yeah, 2009. So coming off of 2009, we won both championships and my first championships in 2000 in the motocross and supercross series. And that was uh, that. And then it was time to go into the 450. So this is like this is the top of the. So you're at 250, and then you're going to 450. Yep. So you, when you turn pro, you go to the 250 class, which is just a step below the 450, and ultimately 450 is the height. I mean, that's the most elite level and um, t the top riders in the world. And so I felt good. You know, I was on a on a bike that was um, uh, had a lot of development prior to 2010. So when I jumped on the bike, there wasn't a lot of testing I had to do. And I just meshed with it right away. The, the off season was, was great. We put in a, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of good laps. And I just was jiving with the bike. And I just like, just like I was telling you prior, just, um, to this question, I just was like, I'm going to go out there to win. I, I want to go out there and win the championship this year. A lot of guys probably say you're, you're thinking too big. Nobody's ever done that besides Jeremy McGrath, which yeah, another, another time name, but it's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it. Like, I know like you got James Stewart out there and Chad Reed and Villapoto. I mean, these guys were on top of their game, but I, I want to go in and I want to compete with them. And 
potentially win a championship. And uh, and we came on the first round and, and came off the gate and we had good times in practice, but the first uh, gate drop in the main event, we uh, round one in Anaheim, California. Yep. Um, I got the whole shot and, and led for probably 10 laps with, and James Stewart, um, who was just the reigning champ, he was dogging me, ended up making the pass. And then we came back on him the last three laps and I ended up finishing second. And I think, I think, you know, being the underdog is, is, uh, obviously it's easy. The pressure's not on you and, and that's a good place to be. But I think people were like, well, we didn't expect that. And, uh, for me, I was like, well, I, I didn't expect it, but that was what I was hoping for. Yeah, and uh, so that yeah, night not felt to sound like arrogant or cocky. Yeah, like, that's kind of my goal. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, it was, you know, it worked out, and it felt like a win that night. And then the next weekend in Phoenix, we got our first win, and um, I, uh, I think a couple things did go our way, and, and not to say that we want guys to get hurt in our sport, but a couple guys, James and Chad, ended up having some injuries, unfortunately, so that kind of took them out of the battle. And then from there, I was just kind of being able to build a points lead. I battled with Vitolo, and then he had a DNF, and I opened my points lead. And it was just like, it was crazy. I, sometimes I was like, wow, is this really happening? Yeah. It was just so surreal. But um, at the end of it, it was, you know, when we were holding up the championship trophy, I was like, we we, we did it. And uh, that, that took a while to sink in. Um, and then we went into the outdoors. We struggled the first round, but then we got because under. Because that happens soon after the indoor, right? Well, it's a two weeks later. Yeah. Two weeks later. Yeah, it's wow. a quick, quick turnaround. And so the first uh, the first race just didn't go well. We ended up having some crank issues. And then by the second race, we won. And, and we'd go on to win um, every one. Uh, we won 10 out of 12 that 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 year um what? and we won the cha- yeah it was it was a really good dominant you year won 10 of 12 races yeah and again you're like is this happening you know it's just 2010 was so surreal it was just such a especially coming off of nine and ten and gosh we went on to the des nations at the end of uh, 2010 after winning the supercross and motocross championship and um to cap it off, the, sorry, the Des Nations is like the Olympics of our sports. So yeah. the top three riders from every country come together. And it was actually in Colorado. And we won that as well. And it was just such a high. And and then uh, and then from there, after that, it, the adversity started to come in. And talk about, uh, it's so true. You, 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 you learn so much more going through the adversity than you do when, you know, yeah. things are easy and coming to you. But uh, going through it's tough. It, it is, and it's challenging. But the next few years were were really challenging, and um, weren't as dominant. It would it would it'd be a while, but um, yeah. Well, was... people are gunning for you now. You talk about that underdog mentality. It's easy to kind of slide under the radar. And I understand that after you after you win the the indoor, you know now the target really is on your back. Like, yeah. Okay, this kid's for real, and now he's a, he's a true competitor. And we he's setting the standard. So. To go out there, even in the outdoor season, to win ten of twelve is really impressive. But you're still probably writing that like, all right, we're still unproven. We still got to go out there and do it on the on the bigger tracks. Um, but then all the years after that, the targets on your back, man. In that right there, the target being on your back—that's what I didn't know how to handle. And I think what we were talking about earlier, being afraid to fail as a young kid. I think for so long I was the underdog coming up. Yep, winning the two, the '09, but it's not like I had to back that up. And then went into 2010. Now you're the underdog again because you're bumping up a class. Well, then after 2010, it's like, okay, well, now the target's on your back. Everybody's gunning for you. And that that is the situation that I didn't know how to handle. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to find the new motivation. And I didn't know. I, I became afraid to fail. 
I, I started hanging on it, became afraid to fail, and that's when other guys capitalized on it. Didn't have bad series. I won some race. I won a good amount of races and came runner up in some champion, uh, championships, but and won a few and won a championship here and there. But uh, it took a while to, to to figure that out. Yeah, and what was that? impetus to figure it out? Was it just a gradual thing or was there a light bulb moment where kind of like with your grandmother, you're like, okay, stop. This is silly. What the hell am I doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was, it was, um, it wasn't actually until 2015, um, that I kind of got back to myself. And, um, so, you know, a good four years there of fighting this and trying to learn and understand and, and, and even doubts of, uh, remember my team, I, I had, um, I was with KTM at the time. I just did uh, 2010, sorry, 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And they were debating whether they wanted to renegotiate and sign another two years for me just because they didn't know I was getting kind of late in my career. Am I going to be able to win again? And But I ended up work lining up with a, uh, I got a new trainer, Eldon Baker. And, and, and that, that was really a joy being around him. He's just a really solid human being and, and he's got a solid program. So um, that year I made some changes. I ended up, you know, there was a lot of things going on going into 2015. I, um, I'd gotten married, uh, me and Lindsay, you know, mm-hmm. we got married in November of 14 and, um, there, we had, a, you know, um, we had moved down to Florida. Uh, we were in Tallahassee. We actually moved down to, uh, Claremont and we had a brand new model 450 KTM 450 that, that they were rolling out, which they, they hit, they nailed the bar on that one. I mean, they definitely came out with a much more competitive bike, which was good. And then I had a new training program. And so everything just kind of fell into place in that sense. Um, I wasn't thinking about if I was doing enough, I really trusted in my program, my training, everything. So I, it took the doubt, eliminated the doubt. But, um, I think the the biggest thing was one not being afraid to fail, but two, like I said, after 2010, I didn't know where to find that new motivation. I think I think in 2010, like I won that championship, you know, for myself. I mean, you, I think the first one you got to do for yourself, and I, I say I don't mean that selfishly. I mean just just you have that motivation to get the first sure, one, right? Yeah. But after that, it's like, well, how do you you know you find you have less fire to do it again. So where I kind of directed my motivation was like, okay, instead of trying to go after this championship and just thinking championship, like, all right, try to become a leader of the sport, you know, try to look at the greater good, like the, the things that are more purposeful, more meaningful, more, more, um, um, uh, more essential, you know, having more impact, you know, and instead of just trying to do something for yourself the other time and thinking small minded, and invest into your guys, invest into the team, you know, like tell, tell your guys what a great job you're doing. Lift, lift your teammates up, lift the guy, your suspension guy and communicate with them and, and just kind of create that instead of always looking everybody to serve you, start serving other people type of deal, you know? And so I just, I just had found, and, and I don't say that like I use that to, to get where I want, but I just felt like that was like how life was intended to, to live. Yeah. And I, I think sports, when I look at like football, I was I was watching um, you know a, a deal the other day of um, it was with the Seattle Seahawks and and uh, Pete uh, yeah Carroll Pete Carroll and just talking like how's the team and and the Vikings just talked about it the other day too you know how like yeah we got to pump each other up and we got to get each other to another level and and you invest into each other you know and now you still now you feel like you're in this thing together and you got brothers and now there's 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 like racing secondary that's just we're having fun now and you, and but. By making that less important and more investing into your people, you you 
you you end up getting the job done because you're enjoying it more. You're 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 more of a force. You're working. You're jiving more together. Things become funner, more enjoyable, and and not a pain to to do all these things. So. I don't know. I know that's a lot in a little bit, but it just, I just, I just became more, it just became more about others than, than myself. And I don't know, I just enjoyed it more and the results came. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson to realize too, that yes, there's a certain point where when you're grinding towards something, sometimes you need to have that hyper focus in, in a way it's, it's a selfish focus and, it, and it's not intended to come off like that. It's just like, man, if I'm really going to get to where I want to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm at the time, it's like, this is how I know how to get there. And then, but at the same time, your sport is an individual sport. And to turn that individual sport into like, how am I going to be best for my team? Yep. And, and how am I going to elevate everybody else? I think that's a great lesson to learn. And I think that's a great development that you had and a very mature development that you had at that point in time that you know, we're going to be better as a team if I can help everybody out, much like Carmichael helped you out when you were young. And how can I be an asset, not just on the dirt, but how can I be an asset in the garage and everything else? And um, and I think that that's sort of freeing in a way. You it know, very when much you, is. When you feel like, hey, I'm... I'm more versatile than just being a guy that can that can go full throttle and make some tight turns and some sweet jumps, you know, and, and clock some great times. Like, I'm a valuable asset to this team because of who I am as a person. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. And the fact is, right, results, you know, they're not going to be remembered forever. But your relationships, that, that's that's true, right? The people that you enjoy, you know, the this, the time you spent with everyone, and, and that's going to continue. You know, racing's going to end. Yeah. And or, or you know any sport, I mean it's 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 such short lived. So, um, yeah, when you make it about yourself, you just kill everything about it. Yeah, and I think that's that's just that's the truth about anything. Is that the culture though? When I look at you guys as sport, because it is individualized, I feel like it's very cutthroat like that behind the scenes. Um, in our sport, yeah, you know, gosh, it's it's so unique these. I think these kids come in so young and I, I went through it. I, it's a lesson I had to learn. And, you know, and today there's so much more temptation, you know, you got social media and then you're like, you're trying to put up this image and, and these guys, it's about them, you know, and it's, it's about, it's about, um, at the end of the day, the tough thing about our sport is that everybody can put in the work, right? And the the rider, the 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 engine guy, the suspension guy, the team manager, the mechanics, everybody. But at but the simple fact is, when that gate drops, it's that rider in the dirt bike, and you know, it all kind of comes down to that. So that rider has to kind of be in a good. He's got to be in a good physical. He's got to be physically fit. He's got to be mentally um, uh, strong. Um, learn how to handle the high pressure situations, learn how to react and, you know, not let the anger get the best of them. It, it's kind of crazy. You spend millions and millions of dollars. And, and, at, and so, yeah, when it comes down to, you know, the rider on the dirt bike, you better have your stuff together, you know, and you, you better be thinking more than just about yourself because I, I see that a lot in our sport. Some guy comes up high or some guy comes in, slams another guy. Well, what's that guy do? Well, I'm going to retaliate on yeah. that guy. And you're like, and I just, I guess I don't, I don't want to say I'm saying you're perfect, but I just think, sit there and thought in my head, it's like, 
dude, you could have put a hole in the in the case and the oil all gone and you blow up the bike. Like you're 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 flirting with disaster. Not you're not just flirting with the result. You're you're flirting with the all the re the the hard work that everybody's putting in. You're you're gonna throw it all away. Like, you know, you you you're not thinking clearly. And so it's just trying to get that thinking. It's there's so much that comes out of rider, but but at the same time, like you, you just gotta have a bigger picture thinking mentality about yeah. the whole thing. So, you know, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm sure it'd be nice. Like, uh, the guy, yeah, it just comes down to the rider on the track and, and results. And there's so many things that can, and that's like a championship too. You, you're thinking like all those laps and all those motos and making sure that that motor never blows up and, and it's a machine, you know, there's failures, there's, there's wiring these days, there's mechanicals. I mean, there's so many things that, that it takes to go right from the, the team side, but your personal life to the training. I mean, it's like, if everybody isn't on board with you and that's where it kind of seems a little selfish, but you know, you know, if you have that, your, your, your circle and your, your group and your team on the same page, um, you, you can achieve the goal a lot longer. Uh, you can get to that goal. Is there any way that you can describe the feeling, the emotion, the rush of being at the gate with all the other riders <laughs> yeah. and you talk about that whole shot and everybody wants to get it and that gate drops and you see that light or whatever it is to get you guys going mm-hmm. and everybody's revving their engines. That intensity of of those riders in the same moment all going towards that first corner, which is a dangerous, probably the, the most dangerous part of your guys' ride is that that first opening seconds. Yep. Any way that you could describe that feeling? Oh, it's... um. Yeah, you know, even I, I can just picture it. Um, it's hard. Uh, it, it's, it's. I think every time I lined up on the gate, there was just that adrenaline because there's the, there's kind of that unknown. There's a lot of things that are out of your control that you want to control that you can't. So the more you try to try to control those things, you just add a whole bunch more stress, and and, and of course you can imagine how that goes. But yeah, there's the excitement. There's. Um, how fast Your mind. are you guys going? I know that every every tr- hole shot might be a different distance, you know, because not every track is the same. But in general sense, because you guys don't have speedometers on your bikes, right? Mm-hmm. You just have an RPM. You just have a... Uh, you know, no, we don't have... Uh, we have all the data we can collect from... But there's no gauges on your no, bike. No, no. So do you have... How, how fast in general are you going from, from zero to whatever into that first corner? Oh, gosh, we can, you know... You go from zero to 40, 50, 60. I mean, <laughs> two, two, three seconds. No. Oh yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, you're, and and of course the conditions vary, but at the same time, you're you're driving out of that gate. I mean, four fifty, a four fifty has sixty three horsepower, which I mean doesn't seem like a lot, but power to weight ratio, yeah. sixty three horsepower, and you put a rider on there, you're talking like four hundred pounds. So. I mean, that thing's driving hard. And not to mention, you have that thing tuned up to be a little bit more aggressive off the bottom. So, I mean, it, that thing's going. But it's a it's a pretty high-intensity, nerve-wracking feeling. Um, of course, like a lot of things, when you sit there and you have time to think about it, it it's worse. You're yeah. just like, come on, just drop the gate. Let's go. Like, yeah. But a lot of it has to do with being able to control that 
you know, being able to be in a good mental state, controlling um, how you feel. I mean, of course, if you're thinking about every other rider, you're scared of getting hurt and you're afraid to like, if you're not going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, of course you're done and you're nervous as all heck, but if you're confident, you trust your ability, like, no, we're going to execute and you focus on yourself and you, and you're not, you know, and you're controlling what you can control. If you can keep your mind in that space. Yep. You're nervous. Yep. Your adrenaline's high. You're just in a lot better place to execute and get the job done. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that the professional writers, unlike somebody like me, some slappy like me, if I was on one of those, <laughs> those uh, it seems like you guys are on a, uh, sitting on top of a missile. Um, <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> that I would be saying, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, yeah. oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. But you guys are saying, hell yeah, let's do this. Well, you you're know? prepared, right? Yeah, you're yeah. prepared. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm not a pro, but I, I look at those and I've been to a few uh, Supercross events, and they are super fun. Much like. Much like going to a NASCAR event, I tell people all the time, like these motorsports, you may you may think that they just they they kind of look and feel a certain way, and you might stereotype them. You go to one of these events, and they are so fun. Yeah. I mean, the intensity, like the the fact that you as a spectator can feel, you can feel the the horsepower and the energy going through your body, especially NASCAR. You know, it's amazing that you could be at a mile and a half track and that's even something to look at too. Yeah. Like you actually get on the grounds of some of these tracks and like, whoa, like that, that's what a mile and a half oval oval looks like. That is way bigger than I thought. Yeah. And you could be down the stretch and they fire up those engines and it, that reverberates right through your core. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing experience. I can't imagine being on top of one of these bikes and feeling that for you're riding for what? 30 minutes? How long is it? How long is one individual race? Uh, well, yeah. So indoors is like 20 minutes and then the outdoors you have two 35 minute motos. Wow. Yeah. So it's, but, but you know, it, it's, um, as an athlete and I, you can speak for this. It's, it's that, yep, there's risk. Right. But you know, usually with that risk comes that excitement and I wouldn't say I'm an adrenaline junkie, but there's that feeling that like when you have, like get that at the end of the day and you, and you work through that and it's like, oh, that was super uncomfortable, but it was so rewarding when it was all done. You know, yeah. I think, um, um, you know, it's, it, you know, I do miss that, but I, I also at the same time don't miss the risk either. So, and, and I'm thankful that I, I did have a good career. So, but yeah. And you had some injuries too, you know, one year you had the, the collarbone break, but I'm sure there are others. What, what yeah. list of injuries did you, did you sustain in the sport? Um, I was very fortunate. I, I had two collarbones and a, and I did have a, um, C six vertebrae break, yeah. which which, yeah, I uh, that that one played with my mind a lot, especially the last year of racing. But but overall overall, um, yeah, thankfully it wasn't uh, that wasn't worse. That Did, that that was C six need surgery too. No no it didn't. But um, yeah, it's just the whole experience. You know, I, I unfortunately that's a tough part about our sport is you know. But at the same time. You know, when I was going through it, you know, and the, and the doctor came in, he says, you know, he, his words were like, I don't know if you believe in a higher power. And but if if it would have went any more, you know, you would have been paralyzed. And you're just thinking like that's when it starts running through your head. Like, you know, man, I've had a good career. You know, do 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 do, yeah. do, I, do, I, do we really do we just call it now? I mean, should we call it now? But but going into 17, I was like, I'm just making a decision based off of fear. If I do that, I'm never going to. I'm always going to wonder. And I just, I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't make a decision off of fear. I got to pursue it. I, this is what I said I was going to do and, and trust the good Lord for the protection, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and move forward. So. Yeah. 
What, now that now that injury was that sustained because of a mistake you made, or was did somebody run into you? I would say it was my mistake. Um, I was just feeling it was at the end of it was in the at three rounds into the motocross series and the supercross championship in sixteen was just it was it was my best season ever in supercross, but it just mentally wore mm-hmm. on me. Um, and by the time I got in the outdoors, I was just tired mentally. I was exa- I was really tired and. Um, my mind wasn't there. And as much as I tried to be in for it to be, and I just, I just, I was, it was scary sitting on the gate. I just, it wasn't there. And I don't know why. And that's part of my reason why I retired early in 17 after the uh, 2017 Supercross series. I felt the same way. I was like, my mind's not here. My mind's not clear. I'm tired. I'm not thinking. And it's just, it's more dangerous to be out there than, than it was to, to, um, than to be done. So I just, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm happy. Let's, let's be done and, and move forward. And, and I, and the team was really cool. There's like, you know what, we don't need you to race outdoors if this is what you want to do. And they, everybody, all my sponsors and, and, um, partners were super supportive of that, which was really generous of them. Yeah. When did you have that dialogue with them? All your sponsors, your team, you know, (laughs) what point did you, did you feel like, all right, this, this feeling I have inside me is actually more tangible and is, it's probably more about where I'm at. It's time to make that, make those phone calls and have those conversations. Um, what, what point in the season was that? Well, uh, I didn't really tell anybody throughout the whole season. Um, I think there's somebody, some people were aware of it because I almost had made the decision in 16. I, I got, you know, where things started getting pretty hard was around, um, you know, out of being mentally tired, the the championship was just on the line. I mean, we were with, within points. And this this one uh, racer, Eli Tomac, you know, he had been a threat, but not like he was this year. And he was just making it so hard. And he he was just dialed in and winning races. So that that on top, he just had the race mental stress and the championship stress. And so by the time we got to round 14, I was like, I don't I don't know much longer. Like I'm I'm getting to the point where it's everything. I'm, I'm tired. I, I don't, I don't want to do interviews. I don't want to go to the racetrack. Yeah. I don't want to fly anymore. I, I just want to like sleep in my bed and be done mm-hmm. for like two months. And I, uh, it just started weighing and weighing. And it was actually the day before my, my last race in Vegas, the, the, the championship race. I, I told Lindsay, my wife, I said, I'm, I'm done. This is it. This is my last race. We're going to, we're going to be done. And, and she was like, no, you're just talking crazy. And I was like, no, I'm done. Yeah. We're, we're going to move on. I don't know what, what the plan is from here, and I don't have a plan. But as far as racing goes, I, I'm happy with it, and I want to, you know, however, if we win tomorrow night or lose tomorrow night, I'm okay with that. Yeah. We're going to be You're done. at peace with it. Yeah, I'm at peace. Yep. And so she's like, okay, you know. And so we we uh, we we had a great race the, the following day, and we won the championship by, like, four points. Uh, and I was so thankful it was over and done, and we were on top. And – and then I, uh, I told my manager, uh, my, 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 uh, my, my, ma- not my team manager, so, so it would have been my agent that night. And then we sat down with uh, Roger DeCoster and Ian Harrison um, uh, on Sunday afternoon, it would have been. So, wow. And then about a week later, we had the press conference. So anyway, it just was like, I, I, I don't know how to say I knew, but I just, I just yeah. like, I knew it was, this yeah. was. And I'm thankful I could call those shots on my own terms too, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny because, you know, 
having us both be um, athletes at that high level, you know, it was even for me. I I know it's kind of hard to put your finger on it, but I knew a year before I, I officially retired that yep, you know, I was kind of leaning towards that way, and I mostly wasn't. Into it. And the funny thing is, when people ask me about it, I just say, you know, I start I stopped loving the little things, mm-hmm. and. I actually was one of those players that enjoyed practice. You know, I I enjoyed as much as I enjoyed playing on Sundays. I actually really enjoyed the the Tuesday through Saturday sort of preparation. You know, I enjoyed like kind of learning about my opponents and and kind of doing that thing. And then I get to the game, and the game was almost kind of secondary. Like I, I just kind of enjoyed the other stuff. And then when I got to my last season, I'm like this all this during the week sucks. Like I'm, I don't want to, my body hurts when I go into the gym and I can't work out the way I want to. I, and, and for me personally, I was on a different team and I wasn't understanding some of the X's and O's and some of the plays. Mm-hmm. And so like that really just grinded on me. And I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Mentally. So I, it was mentally. Yeah. Was, because I don't think people realize when they say, when they look at you guys as, as, as athletes and as it, not only is it hard on your body, but you are flying for what thirty weeks out of the year, every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all those responsibilities that you're talking about with your sponsors, appearances. You also have to keep up on your your, your uh, nutrition, your, your your physical health, um, recovering from it, from the race itself, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then and then trying to have a life, you know, like you've got you've got a wife, and then you know, I'm sure other writers have kids. I'm like, I, yeah. I, I, it's it's a grind, man. Yeah, no, it's it's so, I'm glad to hear it's it feels pretty in line with how I felt as well about it all. And you know, and and you tell me what you think, but like, when I looked at my sport, I was like, okay, I got a good 10, 11 years to do this, right? But the one thing I never thought was like, well, how, how well, not how's it gonna end, but what is it gonna, like, how do I figure out when it's done, you know? And I never thought like, yeah, you're going to be done when you, you know, I never thought like, yeah, you're going to be so burnt out that you're, you're just going to call it quits. I just feel like, well, you just tell yourself when you're done, you're done. And you're like, well, yeah, looking back that it's probably not how it's going to go. Something's going to make you want to be done. But was that what it was like for you too? Like you just kind of, I mean, my last year was like, I just like, and I don't want to make this seem my career, you know, I don't think any of us say it was a pain. You you know, you're going to hit it hard, you know, interviews and, and, and dealing with a lot of commitments and, and the, the pressure and all these things. It's a short career. So, you know, you, you're going to be pushed to the limits, but it's going to hit that point where it starts taxing on your body and you don't, you, you don't, you don't have any more. Um, it's not really up to you anymore to, to dig in, to find it. Yeah. You know, well, I would like say you're that you're done. It's done. Now that you and I are, are both done and I've been out of the game longer than you have, but um, perspective as a mother, right? I mean, you're always trying to find perspective and what you're trying to do, but when you're, when you're, when you're in it, it's hard, it's hard to pull yourself out and be like, oh, well, now I have all this, this, per, this outside perspective of like, just, oh, I'm so, I'm so lucky. And there's so many other people that love to have this position. Like, what am I complaining about? But when you're in it, Mm-hmm. And you're living it day to day, minute by minute, and you're feeling that stress and that anxiety and that physical toll. It's hard to get that perspective. And yeah, maybe I can feel it now, but it's it's hard to tell somebody that. You know, it's 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 hard to tell. I'm sure you you're mentoring oh. some. I'm sure there's some young young writers that your people have asked you questions. You're like. And, and they want to get your perspective. And as much as you, you have that sort of quote unquote old man perspective now, they don't get it. No, no. And it's, 
it's hard. And I don't want to say there's a lot of things that are hard, but yeah, it's just one of those things in life. Yeah. And that's, you asked Lindsay, you asked my trainer, you, and probably same your inner group. Like I was always coming home and <laughs> Maybe complaining. Yes, you're complain. <laughs> yeah. Of course you are. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I should. Our coach I'm, used to call sport bitchers. Yeah, we yeah. Bitch for sport. Like, oh. you know, you could have the greatest day of practice, and we are going to bitch about something. Yeah, it just makes you feel better. Yeah, it's and gosh, for sure. And then to the point you wear them out, like quit complaining. You know, it's like oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I just got to get it off my chest. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to because it's a grind. So now that you're. Like, you know, your your career is, is it's incredible. And I think you you do understand um, just how good of a career you, you had, a historic career. Um, you've now transitioned. I mean, you're, you're no longer um, riding competitively, although, you know, there's some rumors that you may come back. But, um, yeah. you know, that even the hat you're wearing, you know, I, I know people can't see this right now, but you've got a coffee company now. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing in your post-career life. I mean, you've got a whole nother life to live. Yeah. So post-racing, um, I would say that's when uh, the real learning began. <laughs> I, you know, once racing was out of the picture, I started to learn a lot about myself. Uh, we, you know, we, it was kind of nice, had a lot more time, but, um, you know, me and Lindsay, we moved back to Minnesota. We were down in Florida there, and we moved back to Minnesota. That's kind of where we wanted to be, and we ra- we uh, we weren't gonna have kids right away. We didn't. Um, we gave it about a year, and then we started trying and whatnot. And um, yeah, so so between that a learning process, we traveled a bit. You know, we it was kind of cool. We got to ma- do some international trips. Um, Where'd I you go? Where'd you hit up? Gosh, we hit up. Um, uh, we went to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, I gosh, we went from Rome in Italy down to uh, Positano, just like 10 days. It was like, it was unbelievable. We, we still talked about it today. We got to go back. But, um, we also went, flew into, uh, Barcelona, got to spend some time there and see some friends and, uh, some people that had moved to, uh, Barcelona from the States. And then, um, I'm drawing a blank on the dang town. When we fly into Barcelona, we had a, we drove up to, it's a mountain. It's a different country. It's just a small. I'm drawing a blank on it. It's such a cool spot. Can't believe. Uh, can't think of it. But anyway, so yeah, we got a couple international trips there, and then we also I had a bunch of sponsor commitments too that they were like, yeah, bring your wife along. So you know, whether it's in California, um, went to Colorado for some dealer shows. So we just we just kind of were like, it was kind of nice because that stress was gone and it was just like, it was so freeing and we were just enjoying life, which was pretty cool. So from then on and we, you know, then Harper came in July of 19 and I ended up, uh, uh, we, we, we spent a lot of time that. That was so cool. That was something me and Lindsay wanted to do. And it was tough, you know, it wasn't happening right away. Um, you know, her getting pregnant, but, but it did thankfully. And we could have, we could have her and she came in July and Gosh, and Lindsay and, and us, and Lindsay and myself, we've just been, it's just been such a joy um, watching her grow, spending time. And I'm thankful that I can get to be, that we both get to be there and, and see her and watch her grow. So that's been a really run fun part of our life. And now she's, gosh, already 17 months that's coming up. Wild. It's like, where did the time go? Yeah, you feel like a zombie for like the first six months, you know? Oh, <laughs> like, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. I <laughs> There was, there was just hearing you say that there was, we had like different devices, one for the, a foot sock. We had an alarm going off and every two hours. So there was devices and then our smoke alarm. 
there was alarms going off. We we're like, what? What's happening? You know, we're running low on sleep, as every parent knows. But it's a rite of passage, though. Right? It's like, awesome. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, like, that's that's why you and I can <laughs> kind of smile as big as we're smiling right now, thinking about it. You know, it's you know having kids is amazing, um, and then it's almost like. I can't believe the hospital in the States allowing us to take this child with us after we leave. Like, what are we, wait, wait, this is actually real. What are we doing here? Yeah. Like, uh, are you sure that we're allowed to take this thing? It's only been like a few hours. Like, Seriously. It's been maybe a day and we're taking this thing in a car, car carrier and we're just going to go home. And then what? Like all of a sudden you become an adult and you're, and you know, I, I still remember my wife and I yelling at each other just through sleep deprivation and, and stress at like <laughs> three in the morning as we can't get our, our child to sleep and get another bottle. Like, I can fucking <laughs> Like, why are we yelling at each other? Yeah. I don't know. But we just are. Um, it's, yeah. It's, you get through it, man. It's real. You get through it. That's the good stuff. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It, uh, and you, four, right? Uh, we have three. Three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're, we're well beyond. Now, kudos now to you guys. With, yeah. Now we're dealing with my, my daughter's 12 and, you know, seventh grader in school. And now we're kind of dealing with some, some, all those challenges as well, which, you know, every stage is great, but, um, and you'll get there and you'll, again, just like you can't believe that Harper is 17 months already. You're like, before you know it, you're going to be kissing her goodbye at preschool and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah. one's going off to preschool. So, um, it happens fast. Um, but you know, Outside the family, you are, you know, why coffee? Like, I, I, I obviously, I think we all understand, like, coffee is pretty damn amazing. Yeah. But, like, what, what was the impetus to you starting your own coffee company? You know, I, uh, I've always enjoyed, I've always had a passion for coffee, and that kind of dated back to um, 2007. Um, that's kind of when I started drinking it. Prior to that, didn't really get into it much. Um but I had a trainer who loved coffee and we'd go to the coffee shop every morning. And this was in California before we'd go and train. And, uh, it just became my little thing. I didn't know anything or much about coffee, but I was like, I know I liked it. I enjoyed my cup in the morning and it kind of just evolved from, from that into, so we'd go to cities every weekend and different States. And so it's like, yeah, and my parents would fly and we'd meet and like, yeah, let's go grab a cup of coffee and do our deal. And then, you know, and then when I met my wife who, she was not a coffee drinker. No, not at all. No, it was kind of funny. So, so when I, we met in 2008, I was like, here, try my latte. And she, uh, she didn't like it right away. And I was like, I'm going to get you like coffee one of these days, you know? And, and sure enough, I kept get, you know, nudging her, nudging her, nudging her. And she went from the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the sugar drinks, you know, yeah. the lattes with, you know, hazelnut, vanilla, all these things to, um, you know, she worked her way all the way to black coffee at one point. I was like, yeah. wow, this is crazy. But that was our thing. Um, we would travel every single weekend together. Uh, you know, once we, we got serious and she moved down to Florida to, to, to be together with me and, um, we travel every weekend and we made it our thing to look for coffee shops. And, and it, it went from like, you know, the Starbucks to the caribous to, to Pete's then it, and now it was into like, you know, small niche, towns, yeah, niche yeah. specialty coffee. And so we really started learning more about coffee and origins and, uh, you know, roasting processes and, you know, just, just trying the whole spectrum of it all. And then we went to Europe. I mean, the coffee was really good over there as well. So then, then it just uh, escalated even more. And so I just, I, I, in 2010, I remember drawing up plans. Um, I wanted to open up a coffee shop. I didn't, I didn't do it while I was racing just cause I didn't want anything yeah. to take away from, yeah. you know, that was the main focus, you know? So 
I waited till after I was done racing, and even even then I wasn't sure. But when everything kind of hit this year, I was thinking about things, and it kind of came to me. It's like, you know what? I I don't really want to open up a coffee shop. It's a lot of overhead. I was running the numbers, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna build out a little roasting facility, and I'm gonna roast coffee and 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 sell it direct to consumer online. I'll create my own website and the whole nine yards. And so, you know, prior to that, I was you know. Um, you know, looking at where I was going to source my coffee beans, you know, you know, and um, the, the roasting process and everything I wanted to do. And so I, I, I got all that dialed in and got my uh, little facility all set up in which I've outgrown that since then. And we got roasting partners now to, to, to maintain and keep, keep up with the demand and maintain the quality of course. But um, it's been awesome. Um, it's small batch specialty coffee. And, um, you know, we got a, a good spectrum of, uh, we, we started with one roast, which I sent you at the time yep. and now we're up to four and we got merchandise and everything, uh, online. And, um, it's been fun, uh, learning about the whole coffee industry and, and, and the research and studying uh, everything, but it's also been a really good experience business-wise learning in that aspect too. So, um, it's been great. You know, people have been really encouraging and really supportive and just passing along the coffee. And, you know, when, when I, when I first started the coffee company, like, yeah, of course I want to make a great product, but I was really important. Like, okay. Like that's what anybody can do. You're entering a very like competitive industry of course. And I know that of course. And so it's like, who are we going to be? And like, what's going to be our identity? And so I kind of, um, I kind of wanted just like coffee kind of, you know, fueled my pursuit, you know, in my racing career and kind of those same work ethics, those qualities, those, um, uh, those values. I kind of want to bring that into the RD coffee and that's who we are. But, but just like everybody else, you know, we're all connected in some way, you know, we're going through challenges. We're all going through, you know, trying to accomplish dreams. We're raising kids. Uh, you, you name it. We're adversity we all have so much going on in our life. So it's like, that's kind of who we are. We want to be a part of your, your journey and feel your pursuit as well. So, um, it's been fun. People have been really supportive and it's been, uh, really thankful that, um, you know, that they, that everybody's allowed me to kind of share my passion with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it's pretty awesome. I think anybody that starts something, especially it doesn't have to be a competitive market or not. If you can take an idea from a piece of paper and you can go through and push it through to fruition, man, hats off to you. Whether whether it works out or not, it takes a level of risk and commitment and discipline yep. to do that and, um, and vision. So uh, best of luck to you, man. And Thank I, you. I, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling for you. Where can everybody find your coffee? What is the website? Uh, rdcoffees.com. So there is an S at the end of coffees. And um, yeah, we have everything on, everything you need to know on there. And we're looking at expanding and, of course, getting it more locally uh, yeah. out there and just spreading the word, of course, too, uh, here in Minnesota. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to take time. You know, we're, we're, we're slowly growing it, and it's been exciting. Hey, man, it's, it's, it's literally and figuratively a grind, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't expect to have overnight success really in anything. But, um, listen, man, we have, we have gone uh, a long time, and I really feel like that we could touch on a lot of things and talk a whole other hour or two. But um, th- this has been great. I think that your story is, you know, I, I, think, I, I think we all overplay the word inspirational, but it really, it really is because um, – you, you came from proverbially in your sport, nothing, you know, you weren't supposed to amount to anything. You didn't mm-hmm. have 
the pedigree based on where you were raised um, to be a championship racer in your sport. Though that was allocated towards the people that were in the mega hot spots like Southern California, Florida, the warmer states, and you made it work. And you took the values and work ethic and and everything that we instill here in Minnesota in the in the upper Midwest, and you applied that to your craft, and you found a way. And that's something that I think we need to do no matter what we're doing is find a way. You know, just find a way. Like yep. if that's if there's a way that you can be successful. Don't worry about um, where you've come from or where you're supposed to go or what other people tell you you're supposed to go. Just find a way. Find a way that works for you. And you did that. Yeah, and, and not to mention the way you think it should be done and the way it, your your pathway is going, it could be a blessing in disguise. And that's right? what it turned out for me. And I didn't know how it was going to work out. I just was going to give it my all and, and hope for the best. And, I, you know, you get your chance. Yeah. Everybody's going to get their shot. Just put in the time and the effort and be prepared for the – for the uh, opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah, and I and I also love the the idea that that to be successful is going to take a large amount of challenging yourself, and yes. it's less about what people are around you are doing and more about, damn man, how can I challenge myself today? How can I make myself better today? And and those mental challenges that you set for yourself is is really how you get imp- you you see improvement, and and that's. And that's also what you did. And you had to find that on your own at 16 years old yeah. in California. And you had to battle, battle through some of those those lonely times and question yourself. You know, self-doubt comes into mind and like you're missing family and friends. And oh my gosh, what am I doing here? And you had to like push through it. Yeah. And it's awesome, man. Like I, I really, if, if you haven't written a book yet, I really think that you should write a book. I think that it would be an awesome an awesome deal for a lot of young kids um, because your path is unlike and your sport is unlike any of the conventional sports out there. We have seen we've seen success in football, in basketball, in baseball, and all the, the core conventional sports. Like we know what success looks like in those areas. We yeah. don't know what success looks like in, in some of these ancillary sports, these individualized sports that don't get as much attention. Mm-hmm. And these sports are asking for young kids, teenagers to find themselves in an adult world, which is which is crazy, right? And and the fact that you can get <laughs> chewed up and spit out quick too, if you know if things don't go the right way, yeah, it's it's yeah, absolutely. No, you hit it on the nail. And 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 for you to come out um, on this other side of it, as humble as you are, and as grateful and gracious as you are too. I mean, we, we've we've also seen that where you know, almost like a, a child star can can go out to Hollywood, find success at 16 years old in a sitcom, and all of a sudden now. Um, they grow up to be, you know, asshole adults, you know, you know, and they, yeah, and they just get in the industry just kind of kind of changes who they are and their values. And you've never done that. So uh, I know this is a long little monologue, just kind of pumping your tires here. But I do think <laughs> it's um, I do think it's important that people kind of take that from our conversation yeah. that um, you you kind of, you know, took this this little this little seed, this little idea of wanting to be a pro racer here in Minnesota and you turned it into a historic run that uh, we may never we may never see again. So uh, thanks, man. I really, really appreciate it. And, and RD Coffees, um, hopefully it goes as, as successful as your racing career. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me on. It's uh, It's been a real joy chatting through everything and being on here with you. All right, man. We'll see you, bud. Yeah. And that will do it. Uh, I want to thank Ryan for being on Unrestricted. Uh, again, 
His coffee company, rdcoffees.com. Remember the S in coffees, rdcoffees.com. Please support what he's doing. Again, I want to thank everybody for your support on this podcast. I want to thank uh, Wexford Harbor Insurance. Uh, check out Pat Kelly and his staff for all of your insurance needs. Pick and shovelware. Get your pick and shovelware, your your hats, your apparel, uh, very, very cool stuff. And again, it's Lieber for the promo, Lieber, L-E-B-E-R for the promo. And also Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Hey, everybody, it's bourbon season. It's it's cold outside. It's snowing outside. Uh, it's going to be wintertime. It is bourbon season. Get yourself some Douglas and Todd bourbon. And thank you all for subscribing, for listening. We have had tremendous amount of support um, in this young podcast. I love all the feedback. I want to thank you guys for all the stars you've given us, all the, all the nice comments you guys have given us. Um, it's what keeps us uh, going here at Unrestricted. And I want to thank, last but not least, Dave Yeager for helping me out. So that'll do it for this week. Uh, check in next week. We've got a new episode dropping every Monday. Until then, have a great time. Bye.